quick today. I wasn't even up here yet. How y'all doing? Good morning. I'm really glad that you're here, and wow, we're really um, excited just to have another day to get into God's Word. We will be in Romans chapter 13. If you want to get ready in your Bibles, we'll eventually get to that. Uh, let me just reiterate what Matt had shared about next week being Easter. Of course, you know, one of the big days of the year for Christian people celebrate the greatest event ever. It is the good news. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us the ability to know that we can have eternal life. A lot of people come to church on Easter that maybe don't otherwise. A lot of people who wouldn't even consider themselves Christians will come to a church on Easter. Please do take advantage. Um, Use the card. Talk to your friends. Invite people. uh, Get them to come. Really, we have work together to, to really put together what I think is just going to be an outstanding service of worship next week. And if you can be here and if you can invite your friends, um, I, it's going to be great. It really, really is. And, and let me just really encourage you to do that. Every, if everybody here that is not going to be out of town, if you're traveling, okay, but if you're going to be here next weekend, if everybody brought one person, first off, would be packed, which would be awesome. But man, just one person. Everybody take it serious. It'd be great. And, and it, of course, the gospel will be proclaimed clearly. A lot of different elements of the service that are all going to communicate the same truth. It's, it's really, it's really going to be a great day. So celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ is something we certainly can do every day. But, but wow, next week is just, that's kind of the day. So do take advantage of that. Okay, we're in the book of Romans. And uh, we've been away from it for a little while. But we're coming back in and we're in Romans chapter 13. And uh, as we have studied through systematically, starting over a year ago, uh, in chapter number one, we realized that once we got to chapter 12, we are in the section of Romans from chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 that have the practical application of the doctrine that we learned in the first 11 chapters. And so once we turned the corner with Romans 12, we started understanding some things. And Romans 12 more specifically dealt with the Christian's responsibility to others— around him. And that's kind of where we ended up at the end of chapter 12. Uh, In chapter 13 now, where we're at, what we're going to see is our responsibility toward the outward world system, okay? And and you'll see that as we kind of lay this out. In fact, if you just notice with me, we'll read the whole passage, uh, the first seven verses in a second, but just notice verse 1 of Romans 13 where it says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. I mean, just notice that it says every soul, In other words, Romans 13 starts out not just addressing Christians. Literally, it is is bringing in the audience of every human being ever. And, And the idea that, look, God's word is just good common sense. It is good advice. It is good practical guide for your life. Whether you consider yourself a believer in Jesus or not, if you will follow the direction of the scriptures... It will help you. Now, ultimately, if you don't surrender to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't go to heaven. But nevertheless, the guidebook that is the Word of God is good for anybody and good for everybody. Listen, this book literally is the book of life. It is written by the author of life to define for us what life is all about. What is the meaning of life? This is the only book you can possibly go to to find that. So it's not just for believers. It can be good for anybody. And it says, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. And so that's our, real, that's our theme for the day. The theme of today is the theme 
of the entire Bible. It is the theme of God's entire revelation to man. It is emphasized again in this chapter. The theme is authority. And so I gave the title to the message, It's Always About Authority. And listen, don't kid yourself. Every issue of man, every big decision you have to make, everything that comes into your life ultimately boils down to authority. Who's in charge? Am I in charge? Are you in charge? Is God in charge? I mean, ultimately, every big decision you're ever going to make is going to boil down to the issue of authority. And what God is ultimately interested in for you is to determine whether or not you will willingly surrender your authority to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is. And if you're going to be an effective Christian walking with God, God wants to know, are you going to surrender your authority to the authority of the Word of God as your guide as you follow Him day by day? It's always about authority. And so he says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. In the idea of the theme of the whole Bible, sometimes it's, it's referred to as a king and a kingdom. And who's going to run the kingdom? Who's going to run the show? Who's the boss? Okay. And so with that kind of a thought in mind, we're going to kind of walk into this, into this story. Okay, so a little bit about me. Um, I like to watch some... TV shows. I, I'm kind of a nut about reality shows. I know, they're weird. Um, there's a bunch of different weird reality shows I like, but there's one that's not a reality show, and, and I'm addicted to it. I, my DVR is tuned to record as many episodes of this old TV show called Law & Order that'll ever come on, and they delete off my DVR before I can get time to watch them all. Um, but Law & Order, if, not, you know, if you'd ever watched it, it's, it's an hour-long show where the first half is about the law. It's the police tracking down somebody who killed somebody. And the second half is the order portion, which is the prosecuting attorneys seeing if they can put the guy away for, for life in jail. And so it's about law and order. And uh, I just like those kind of shows. I like those investigative shows. I like those crime dramas. I just think that they're kind of cool. Okay, well, the whole idea of law and order is that society needs to have law and order. Society needs to have laws and rules and regulations, and they need to have a form of just punishment, or else society will default to a system of anarchy. And look, although it is in mode, it is in fashion, it's in vogue for people to complain about our government and our society and our situations, although it is kind of cool to be able to sit around a coffee shop or with your friends and complain about how we live in a dictatorship or how we're an anarchic society, let me just tell you, you've never lived in an anarchic, anarchic society. If you've lived your life in the United States of America, you've never been in a country where truly the rule of law has been discarded. And people literally did whatever in the world they wanted to do. I've lived in such a place, and a few people maybe have, but generally you never have. And God has set up the idea of law and order so that we don't have to live in that kind of a situation. Ultimately, this anarchy is against the entire principle of who God is. God wants things to be orderly, right? And so I brought a couple of references out for you. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. The Bible says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. He goes on at the end of that chapter in verse number 40, and he says, Let all things be done decently 
and in order. Notice back in verse number one, it says, let them be subject to the higher powers. Powers, plural. That means that God the Father is the ultimate power and authority. And that God the Father then chooses to delegate that power and authority to whomsoever he wills for different purposes that he has. And that is the context of what we're getting into in Romans 13. God delegating his power and his authority in specific revealed areas. And we are to be subject to that. We are to submit to that. We are to surrender our rights to his ultimate rule and authority. Matthew 28, 18, ultimately God first and foremost delegates all of his power to God the Son, right? Jesus Christ said, all power is given unto me. So God the Father delegates it to God the Son, and we will see walking through this outline today that it is further delegated to other areas of life as well. So we talked about authority, and we talked about how it's referred to sometimes as a king and a kingdom. And when you study the issue of a kingdom in the Bible, what you find is that it's divided into two different parts. There is a physical aspect, and there is a spiritual aspect. That shouldn't surprise you as anything we might learn through the Scriptures. So the original plan of God, when he first created everything and he first set it all up, was the, the plan was is that the physical is also spiritual, and the two are one. But with the entering in of sin, these two then become divided. And you have a physical kingdom, governments, nations, political powers, and you have a spiritual kingdom, which is the kingdom that rules in our hearts through the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. So each of these two elements, the physical and the spiritual, have delegated authority from God the Father to God the Son to each of these independent parts. And that is our outline for today. That's the intro, okay? So just read with me with that in mind the first seven verses. We'll pray and then we'll get into it. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Let's pray, kind of just ask God to be our teacher, and then we'll jump into some of the details. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for ultimately revealing these things to us so that we can understand this delegated authority, so that we can understand this chain of command, as it were. And, and I pray that you would open our spiritual eyes of understanding. I pray that you would help us to see you in everything around us 
so that then we can behave properly, that we can act in a way that would be pleasing to you, that would be glorifying to you. And if we can understand how you have set it up, certainly that will help us to be able to make decisions that will be pleasing to you and not just self-serving. So that's our goal. That's our desire. You are worthy, and we are submissive to you. Teach us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, the first thing we're going to see, the broad category, is going to be that physical kingdom. It's called the kingdom of heaven. And why is the kingdom of heaven the, the, the physical kingdom? Well, because heaven is a literal, real place. Okay, uh, we're going to get to the, most of you that have been in this church and studied the Bible uh, very long, you're going to automatically cast your eyes down to point number two on the backside of your nose, and it'll be the kingdom of blank. It's the other one. Okay, it's called the kingdom of God, if you want to write it down now. It doesn't matter. We'll get to that. The point is this. The kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of heaven, no matter what some Bible commentaries might say. Heaven is not God. God is not heaven. They're spelled differently. They have different meanings. Okay, heaven is a literal, physical place. It is the place of eternal um, dwelling of the believers. It is a place. Heaven is the earthly, physical kingdom used throughout as it's used in the scriptures. And so we're going to break these seven verses into three main parts in each of the cases. The first one is that we need to submit to the powers, the first two verses. We need to submit to the powers. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So this is a reference to governmental authorities. You need to understand that. It doesn't matter if the president or the prime minister or the king of any government is a Christian. God has established the system of governments And human governments carry with them a necessary authority to keep law and order. And God has ordained this system, and we are required to submit to that power, recognizing that as they run it, whether you agree with them or not, as they run it, it is a system ordained by God. So when Paul writes this to the Christians, the people in Rome, okay, do you know who was running the pagan Roman Empire at that time? I mean, the, the Caesar is a title, but the guy's name in history was Nero. Nero, my friend, is worse than any political leader you've ever lived under. Trust me. Nero slaughtered real Bible believers. Paul was able to say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we are to submit ourselves to the powers that be. They are ordained of God. And Nero was the government in the pagan Roman Empire. Let me tell you, if the Apostle Paul and the believers in Rome can submit to Nero, you can submit to your government. You can submit, you can submit to your government. I mean, some of you are going to have a hard time saying amen to that. Look, you can get mad at me all you want. God wrote it. I, I, you know what I mean? I mean, if you can't honestly in your heart say amen to that, you're carnal. I mean, no offense, you know. Can you say you're carnal and then no offense? I don't know. I guess that's offensive. Okay, so here's what he's saying, right? There's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. It goes on in verse 2, whosoever resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, right? If you disobey the government, you disobey God. You get that? If you disobey the government, you disobey God. Now, please don't misunderstand, because there can be abuses in 
people twisting the meaning of what God says, a way that people have twisted historically successfully to their own end. The meaning intended in Romans chapter 13 is they will say the powers that be are ordained of God and then they go and they set up an elaborate church-state setup. And, And world religions today and throughout history have set up governments where the church or the religion controls the, polit- the political machine and they, they require that everybody bow down to their religious system. That's what Islam is. That's what the Vatican is. That's what Eastern Orthodoxy is. That's what Reformation Protestantism was. Listen, people have taken the name of God and his writings, whether they be valid or invalid in the case of other world religions, Hindus in India, they control the government. Listen, this happens worldwide. That is not the intention. He's not trying to say that because we're the government, we are God and you have to do what we say about God. That is not what God is saying. He's not setting up a church-state system. By the way, historically, if you study history, Baptists, have always been against this. Always been against the church-state setup. The separation of church and state has been a pillar belief of people who have carried the system of belief that came down through the centuries ultimately to who we call ourselves as Baptists. And if you don't, and if you don't believe in that, then you're just not a good Baptist, okay? <laughs> because that's what Baptists believe. And, and the separation of church and state, by the way, by the way, the real meaning of the separation of church and state is not that we get mad because they removed prayer and Bible reading from the schools. Uh, It's not that, you know, the the government comes in and doesn't allow the Gideon's organization to pass out New Testaments on college campuses. The real meaning of the separation of church and state is the idea that the government cannot pass laws that require the citizenship of, to follow one and only one church or religious direction. That's the idea. They can't dictate to you, if you are in our country, you must worship the way we worship and the place and the time and the direction and the God, small g, that we say. That's the idea. So there's a power, and God has delegated it to governments. So the power of human governments, you may be surprised, to find out, was, at least temporarily for now, delegated to the devil. The power of human governments. You're going you're to have to ride with me on this one. We're going we're gonna to show you Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. This is the story of Jesus Christ right after his baptism. He's taken out in the wilderness, 40 days, eventually tempted by the devil. Luke 4, 5, and 6. And the devil, taking him, Jesus, up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms in the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto Jesus, all this power, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, all of this power will I give thee, the devil said to Jesus, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will I give it. Now, what does the next verse say? And Jesus saith unto him, liar, liar, pants on fire. (laughs) He did not say that. Because Jesus knows 
that the human governmental world system authority in the nations is temporarily, truly given to the devil. And Jesus didn't fall for that temptation. He didn't fall for that tactic because he knew full well that eventually he would regain full and total control of not only the spiritual kingdom but the the physical as well, but not until he had to die first. Because if he would have received that which actually belonged to him but at the wrong timing, it would have nullified the whole thing. And so Jesus obviously does what's right. But you need to understand something. Human governments have a spiritual force behind them. There are spiritual principalities and powers in heavenly places that control what the Bible calls the course of this world. And the course of this world is set on course by the devil. It is set on course by the devil. That's why we as Christians only have three enemies. It's not a Muslim. It's not a Buddhist. It's not anybody else. The only enemies we possibly have, according to the Bible, are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And ultimately, the devil works through your flesh, and he works through the world system. And this world system, which is a system of setting up kingdoms, and people going to war and fighting and killing for land, for dirt, is something that's devilish. But God has allowed it for for a period of time. If you took the time and went back to Daniel chapter 10, and you could read the whole story, but ultimately in Daniel chapter 10 and verse number 20, for example, we have, I think, that up here on the screen. The idea is, is that there's a reference being made. There's an angel talking to Daniel And he's talking about how I battled with the prince of Persia. And he talks about the prince of Grecia or Greece. And ultimately goes down and he talks even further later on about Michael, the archangel. And he tells Daniel, he is your prince, Israel. So what we find is that the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece, these are not men. These are spiritual forces. This is a spiritual discussion from a spiritual being revealing to Daniel what's going on in the heavenlies. So literal, physical, governmental powers and nations have a supernatural, spiritual force that influences them. They just do. The prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, those are demonic powers. That's who they are. That's the context of Daniel chapter 10. But none of that should mean that you have the right to just disobey. Because Romans 13 and verse 2 says, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power... Well, the power is the government. Resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, don't get all freaked out about the damnation thing. That doesn't mean that if you break the law, you you speed, you get caught with something, you get thrown in jail. That doesn't mean you're going to hell. The word damnation is a word that's used in very broad sense in a lot of different ways. At times, it can mean eternal separation from God in a literal place of torment called hell. But a lot of times, it just means judgment. It just means punishment. You bring on yourself damnation means that you have to pay for the consequences of your actions. Okay, that's literally all that's being said here. So they that resist the power of the ordinance of God, of the government, shall receive to themselves some level of condemnation. That's another form of that word. Or punishment. Right? So think about it, really. You can nitpick about the details of laws, and that's fine. And that's why we vote, and you should. 
But the purpose of earthly governments should be to enforce God's law in society. Now, you can argue how well we do that. But most of the laws that are set up in society are set up for your good. They're set up basically to protect the moral fiber that makes up society. Don't kill, don't steal, right? Don't lie, don't cheat, don't do all these things. The laws of society are set up to have peace, to have order. I mean, even the worst governments, I don't care if it's communist, socialist, fascist, Nazi, they all have laws that are basically in place to keep order among the general populace. That's what they're for, and that's the context of what we're talking about. So just like the laws of the land say, don't kill or don't steal or don't bear false witness, they also say, obey the speed limits. (laughs) They say all that. These are the laws of the land. Okay, so we are to submit to that. Good Christian, be a good citizen. Just that simple. Second point, recognize the reason for rulers. Verse number three, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. So, listen, Christian. What do you care what the laws are? I mean, if you're going to live right anyway, I mean, you know the guys who are the most worried about the laws? Those are the guys who are worried about breaking them, right? I mean, the guys who are worried about breaking the laws are the guys who are the most worried about what laws are being put in place so that if I continue on in my sinful, selfish behavior, am I going to be caught? Am I going to be punished as a result? I want to be able to sin without punishment. So I'm going to argue for certain laws, and that's what people do. But listen, Christian, if you're going to do what's right, why should you, why should you go down the highway, and by the way, who doesn't do this? I do. Sorry. Just, to, just, I mean, let's just, I mean, let's just be honest. You know, I'm driving down the highway. I went to Akron yesterday, met a friend. I'm coming back, and I see a cop parked in between the lanes, you know. Immediately, reflex, foot comes off the gas. I mean, just reflex. I actually wasn't speeding. I mean, the speed limit was 70. The speed limit was 70, and I was going 70, well, maybe 71. I mean, I was going 70. I mean, immediately, boom, 65. I mean, it's just reflex. It's in us. But if you do good, what are you afraid of? There's nothing to worry about, right? So the idea is earthly governments, the rules of society, they're not set up to punish people who do good. They're set up to punish evildoers. And if you're not one of those, who cares? In fact, it's very interesting, and this is actually not a very often applied situation. I mean, earthly governments, police forces, I mean, it says not only for the punishment of evildoers, but for the praise of those that do well. I mean, when's the last time a cop pulled you over and said, hey, good job, dude? <laughs> I mean, that'd be cool. Doesn't really happen that much. Okay, so I pose a question because maybe your mind is like mine and you're thinking of this. Okay, so what is the Christian to do when the rulers are a terror to good works? Because they're not supposed to be. But what if they are? I mean, what is a Christian supposed to do Because that's really what you're going to deal with. When you get into life and you get into things and you say, well, man, what if the laws really are attacking my ability to do what's good? Well, 
I'm going to give you some answers. First off, as we saw in verse number one, do what the government tells you to do. The first line of defense, the first answer is always going to be obey the government. It says we are to be subject to them. That is not with qualifier, okay? So, as much as you possibly can, just obey. Just do what it says to do. Number two, in questionable areas, try to go along with the governments as long as you can without compromising the truth or rights. Sometimes it's debatable. Sometimes it's not always black and white. Sometimes it's a little gray. And sometimes it's a little bit harder. So we have the example of young Daniel as he is taken captive from Israel. He's one of the brightest and the best young people of the land, and he's brought into the king's court under Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And remember that whole story right at the beginning where Daniel and his friends, they they didn't want to defile themselves with the food that the Babylonians ate because it wasn't allowed for a Jew to eat that stuff. What did Daniel do? Did he stomp his foot and say, I'm a Jew and I will not eat the king's meat? He didn't do that. He requested politely from the captain of the guard. And he said, I'll make you a deal. It kind of goes against our religion to eat the food that you guys eat. And if it's okay with you, my friends and I would like for you to feed us whatever this pulse stuff is, something probably not good. Feed us some, you know, some whatever food that's okay. And if you determine that we are more weak and sickly and unhealthy, then we'll eat your food. You see how he did it? It was kind of a gray area. It was kind of a questionable deal. And he had a conflict because he wanted to be submissive to the powers that be, but at the same time, it kind of went against his conscience. And rather than just shaking his fist and trying to take a stand, Daniel is smart. He says, hey, let me, let me try this. Is, is it possible that we put it, we, let's just do a test. And you know what? If it doesn't work out, we'll do it your way. And of course, it worked out. I mean, God honored it. Number three, here's the one you're really waiting for. I know, you're waiting for this one. Only when the government, the key word, commands you to do something contrary to the expressed will of God as revealed in the Scriptures can you disobey. Even this is hard to sometimes follow. Okay, so Peter in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29 makes this statement. We ought to obey God rather than men. There is a time, there can be a time, where you are put in a corner and the governmental authorities, the political powers, require you to lie, cheat, steal, whatever, to do something that is directly and clearly contrary to the expressed will of God, clearly revealed in the Scripture. If, and only if, and only when that command directly to you requires you to sin, do you say, no, I'm not doing it. Now, if that happens, you better be ready to pay the piper. I mean, if you're going to stand on your principle against some command, you have to also then be ready for whatever the punishment might be that might come your way. Sometimes it is impossible Okay, so continuing on in the story of Daniel, which is a great example for us. Later on, then there's another king named Darius, or Darius, depending on how you pronounce it. And when he is there, he makes a decree. 
And he says, for 30 days, everybody in the kingdom is going to pray only to me. (laughs) What an ego. Well, Daniel gets wind of it. And, uh, of course, the guys that helped the king and his court set that up, they were were doing it on purpose to catch Daniel because they knew his character. Daniel's like, yeah, sorry. That's a non-negotiable. I can't pray to other fake idol gods. I can't do it. So I'm praying to the only God there is, like I always do. So he disobeys. But as a result of disobeying, it's the lion's den. It's the lion's den. And did he go kicking and screaming? Not that we're aware of. He said, okay, if that's what it is, that's what it is. Now, you know the story. Every Sunday school kid knows the story. God delivered him from the lion's den, and that was awesome. But don't kid yourself. God doesn't always deliver you, right? I mean, he didn't deliver John the Baptist, right? I mean, God doesn't deliver everybody. He didn't didn't deliver the apostle James when Herod had his head cut off. Both those guys died for doing what's right. He happened to deliver Daniel. You remember the other three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They were required, everybody was required to bow down to this big image of Nebuchadnezzar, right? And so they had this big image, and so they were supposed to all bow down and worship it. Those three guys, I love this, Daniel 3, 17 and 18. This is the attitude we need to have. They said, we're not doing it. They said, if it be so, our God whom we serve, notice, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So they took a stand, and they were ready to be punished if necessary. And they understood that they said, God is able to deliver us. He may not choose to. He may not choose to. And even if he chooses to not deliver us, I just want you to know, we're not disobeying God. We're not disobeying God. And so, obviously, that's a great story. They were delivered as well. It doesn't always work out that way. Romans 13, again, verse number four. For he, again, we're talking about the powers that be, is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So, if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. So fear is a legitimate, healthy motive for behavior. Fear. Every parent ought to know that. Listen, I'm not, you can laugh if you want, it's true. Listen, if you ascribe to, you know, the new philosophy of, you know, just be your kid's best friend and, you know, coach them along and hope that eventually they realize the goodness of good, you know, you're, you're going to have a rowdy kid. I mean, you just are. Um, you know, a little bit of fear goes a long way. I mean, God says, look, there, is, there are times when fear saves your life. Right? You should be afraid if you're standing in the middle of a road and there's traffic. You should be afraid. I mean, there are things you should be afraid of. And it should cause you to behave a certain way to rescue yourself from that fear, right? It is, listen, 
Fear is an external motivator. Okay, so the, the punishment available through a government, prison, different penalties, those things are fearful. You should be afraid of those things. They should motivate you to obey the laws. It is external motivation. Communism mastered the practice of externally motivating people to live a very high moral life because the or else was severe. The problem in the country I lived in, for example, is you pull back the curtain then with the, with the government collapsing and there is no more strong arm of the law to force you or else. There was nothing left. They had no internal motivation because they were atheists. And so it was anarchy and that's what I lived through. But fear is an, listen, fear may not, it's an external motivator, it's a legitimate motivator. It may not be the best motivator, but it's legit. It's legit. And going on, what we have here in verse number four, it says, he beareth not the sword in vain. He's the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. The sword, execute, oh, you mean like capital punishment? You see, capital punishment is a Bible doctrine. You need to understand that. That, that may hurt your feelings. You may th- it says that the person who, under the authority of the government, is given the task to execute evildoers according to the law, it says he's, he's the minister of God. It's kind, it's kind of weird. Okay, so the sword, by the way, was to chop people's heads off. That, that, was, that was the use. Okay, today it would be the guy who flips the switch or injects the cyanide pellet. I mean, I know this isn't real happy talk. Capital punishment is not something that is, up, is abolished in the New Testament. Live and let live. God is who he is. And the executioner is a minister of God. By the way, when the executioner carries that out, he's not violating the sixth commandment. He's not committing murder. Uh, he's not sinning if he does it. In fact, in some cases, he may be sinning if he's not doing it. Uh, remember King Saul, when King Saul was in charge of Israel and God sent him, and he said, kill all the Amalekites. And Saul killed a bunch of them, but not all of them. Because of that act, In 1 Samuel 28, the kingdom was removed from Saul because he didn't execute according to the command of God. He didn't do it. This was given to man all the way since Noah. After the flood, God instituted the system that human governments, men, would govern one another. Genesis chapter 9, verse number 6, the days of Noah. God said, for the first time ever, whoso sheddeth man's blood... By man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. So previously it was not that way, but after the flood, God said, okay, you're going to govern each other. And if man sheds another man's blood, you are going to take his blood. The Apostle Paul knew that, Acts 25 and verse number 11. He's tried, and it says he's defending himself before Rome, and he says, for if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die, but if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. So he's testifying on his behalf, and he basically says, look, I got no problem with your death penalty. 
No problem whatsoever. If you can prove that I'm guilty, I'll go. I'll lay down for it. No problem. But if you can't, <laughs> uh-uh. There's no, there's no problem with it. Romans 13, verse number five. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Okay, so the conscience then, that's, your, that's the internal motivator, right? Your conscience is what separates you from the animal kingdom, okay? Humans have a conscience. Humans have a conscience that is the connection to God, even lost man. The conscience in you is the thing that God uses to whisper into your heart, hey, that's wrong, knock it off. You know it's wrong. And that is the ultimate thing. Okay, that's a better motivator. If, if fear, okay, that may motivate you from the outside going in, but from the inside out, if, if, you're con- if you have a clear conscience, it's because you're living right, right? That's what Hebrews 13, 18 says. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. That's what a good conscience is. I'm willing to live honestly. Okay, so that's the reason we have rulers. That's the reason they're set up. They're the minister of God, and it's basically to keep order in society. The last thing I want you to see, um, point number C, pay your dues, verses 6 and 7. For for this cause, pay ye tribute also. The tribute is the tax. So, pay your taxes. You don't have to like it. April 15th, coming up. Pay your taxes. You know what that is? That's worship. Because you're doing what God said. You're obeying him. You, should, you need to pay your taxes. Okay? Um, by the way, you, you need to pay all that you owe in taxes. You shouldn't cheat the government in taxes. By the way, you should only pay what you owe not a penny more. But you have to pay your taxes. Because if you don't, and you use some trumped-up Christian reason, you're disobeying God. Because you disobey the government, and you disobey God. You don't like the tax structure, vote for something else, pray to God, hope for the best. In the meantime, you have to do what it says in Luke 20 and 25. Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and under God the things that be God's. It's just that simple. So your taxes fund the government. They make the laws, which generally are for your good and the peaceful operation of society. Regardless of who's currently in charge, they are due some things, and you need to pay your dues. They're due tribute. They are due your tax money so that you can be a beneficiary of a peaceful society. They are due some custom. In other words, some level of respect They literally, again, you can argue the details of individuals. Their system is set up to serve you, to serve you. They are due a level of fear because they have the right and the ability to punish you. And they are due some level of honor. And I realize that that's hard sometimes because sometimes we look at the men that are in office and we just can't really bring ourselves to honor them, okay? But that's not what God's saying because you honor the office, not the man. In the military, I'm told that a soldier is commanded to salute, right, the higher-ranking officers. So you salute the uniform, not necessarily the man. 
Because you might know the guy, right? But you salute the uniform. That's the idea. That's what we're dealing with. They're the ministers of God. You know what? If they violate the constitution of the land, but they are not requiring you to disobey God. Listen, I, I was going to break this message into two weeks. I don't know how I'm going to finish, but let me just say, I can't help it. This bugs me. Okay, so do not be confused. I think that abortion is murder. I think it's awful. I think it's terrible. I wish it was not allowed in our country. I think it's a blight on our society, and I think that it's a stain on us before, the, before a holy God and his holy eyes looking down upon us. But let me just tell you something in the balance of being a good Christian. Hopefully, you don't participate in that. Hopefully, you never encourage others to participate in that. All I want to say is this. The government does not require you to get an abortion. They allow you. Now, that can bother you, and you should vote against it. But they don't require you. If you are a young lady and find yourself with child and you don't want it, the government will allow you to kill it. You shouldn't. They are not requiring you to, like in the days of Moses, murder all the male children. Then, oh, well, let's make a little ark of bulrush and just put them down the river and hope for the best because I'm not killing my child. That's different. And you need to be very careful where you draw your lines. You need to obey the government, period. And you need to vote. Okay, let's jump into the next one, the kingdom of God. Now, the definition of the kingdom of God is clearly, biblically, a spiritual kingdom. We're going to roll some verses on the screen and look at them quickly. Luke 17, 20 and 21. It says that the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It says the kingdom of God is within you. It is a spiritual kingdom. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Jesus and Nicodemus. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus doesn't really understand. What's this birth again, enter again into my mother's room? No, Nicodemus, it's not physical. Because he says in verse number 5, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, that would be physical, and of the Spirit, that's salvation, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is spiritual. God is a spirit. Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And what we find as we walk through this same outline is the same language is used in reference to spiritual authority for your life, which in our context of this day and time is church leadership. So similar to human governments, there is a spiritual line of real authority that is delegated down. And the power of the spiritual kingdom was delegated to the disciples. The power of the spiritual kingdom is delegated to the disciples. Luke 24, 49. And behold, I sent the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. When did that happen? Well, coming up in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, just for his ascension, says, But ye shall receive power to his disciples, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, honestly, while it's kind of awkward for me to get up here and talk about this because you might judge that it sounds self-serving, you need to know this truth. You need to understand that this is a serious deal before a holy God. 
These disciples that received the delegated authority were the ones who are the foundation of the church. The same outline as before. You can fill in the blanks ahead of time if you want to. Submit to the powers. Submit to the powers. Now, in the context of the church, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 5. If you were to actually turn to 1 Peter and you read the first four verses, it's addressing elders. It's, re- it's addressing shepherds. And, and the shepherds are exhorted in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 basically to do two things. Lead and feed. Lead the people and feed them the word of God. Then it, it, makes the, it turns the corner and it deals with the people. Okay, in verse number 5 of 1 Peter 5. Likewise, ye younger, because the, early, the first part was to the elders. Ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Of course, we should all be humble, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And so, if you are not an elder, then you are a younger. (laughs) That's easy. Came to church for that. Okay, and if you are not an elder, then you are to submit yourself to the elders. That's what it says. You you don't like that? You, you don't want to submit? You don't want to, you don't want to do what your spiritual leaders in your local congregation ask you to do? Well, you know, okay. Why don't you just leave and go start your own group and you can be in charge of it and they can submit to you and when stuff goes wrong, it can be your fault. I mean, just do that. But honestly, it bothers me, not because I'm on a power trip. Listen, you know us if you come to this church. The pastors of this church, we do not beat you down with the authority stick. We don't do it. We give you all the freedom in the world to do what's right. But you need to understand, there's a God in heaven who's watching. And this is a big deal to him. Because there is a delegated authority, and all authority is ultimately of God. And if you disobey the authorities, if you resist them, you're not resisting us. You resist God. Just like it is with governments. It's just that important. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 7. Notice the language. Remember them which have the rule over you. Nobody rules over me. Well, who are these people who have spoken unto you the word of God? These are pastors and teachers. Remember those guys whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. Go down to verse 17 of the same chapter. The language gets a little stronger. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. So now you have outward obedience, which may or may not be accompanied with an inner attitude of submission. But he says, oh, obey, kind of whether you like it or not. And by the way, it'd be great if you liked it and you actually submitted to it. For they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that's unprofitable for you. So there is, and when you read Romans 13, you need to see this, because this kingdom is broken into two directions, a physical and a spiritual. There is a genuine, indisputable, unarguable chain of command of authority that is given to church leaders. You need to know that. It should affect how you behave. That's what God wants you to know. Now, why is all that? Well, that's our second point. Recognize the reason for rulers. It says in this passage of Scripture, he is a minister of God to thee for good. 
Hopefully, it's a little easier to see in the context of a church than in the context of government. He's the minister of God to thee for good, for your good, for the good of the kingdom of God. Why should you submit? Well, we saw in Hebrews 13, 17, they watch for your souls. They watch for your souls. And it says that they must give an account. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to play out. I'm not 100% sure that I'm thrilled about what that's going to look like when I have to stand before Jesus. But according to the scriptures, the elder, shepherd, leaders in your spiritual life will give an account, must give an account to God for you. And if you can't bring yourself around to being a submissive team player, then that account that will be given to God for you from your leaders will be with grief, not with joy. Listen, as a pastor, there are people, if you, if you listed their names in front of me, man, I, I could give you accounting of things that are just joyful about how they joyfully serve and, and sacrifice and, and participate. And there's another list of people that would be like, oh, man. God says to you as you listen to his word in Hebrews 13, 17, if your leaders have to give an account for you with grief, who's that bad for? That's bad for you. That's bad for you. That's, that's a warning. That's something you should be aware of. They watch for your souls. They feed you the word of God. They care for you. They give oversight. They pray for you. They counsel you. They love you. They encourage you. Oh yeah, I don't want any of that. I mean, really? Yeah, that's something that you want to just say, I'm not not having no part of that. Who wants that? Well, how about the next point? It's the key to your spiritual growth and development. If you're the type of person who only submits if you happen to agree, then the truth is you don't really submit at all. Because the truth of the matter is at the end of the day, who's the boss? God? His word? Or you? If you only do what you agree and think that you should do, and somebody asks you to do something, that's not sin. I'm not saying asking you to sin. I'm saying asking you to participate in something, and you're just like, no, I'm not doing that then at the end of the day, who's really the authority? Well, it's you. You're the authority. You're not submitting your authority to anybody else. Who do you think you are? And people do it all the time. The Bible calls this time that we live Laodicea. The rights of the people. I have my rights. Who are you? But you need to think about it. Because God put you where you are to teach you to trust him. And your leaders might ask you to do things that you don't prefer. You know what? It's just a test. It's a test. And God is watching. It's a test to see whether you will obey the word of God regardless and say, I will be a part of what is being asked of me. I will play according to the rules. Listen, we have every month every quarter, a class on what the requirements would be for membership in First Baptist Church. If you're a covenant member of First Baptist Church, you signed a covenant agreement that you promised to live your life a certain way, which included 
daily prayer and Bible study and witnessing to your friends and raising your kids right. It included financial contributions. It included service and ministry. It included participation in life groups in the middle of the week. It included the fact that you would be a part of a discipleship relationship as a student and then ultimately carrying out as teachers. It included all of those things. If you signed your name on that line and said, I want to be a covenant member of this church and you don't do those things, well, then you're the boss. God's not. And when that day comes, just know that that is waiting for you. Nobody's going to come beat you over the head. Nobody's dragging you out of your house and making you do anything. But it's a big deal. It goes on back in Romans 13, verse 4. It says, But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth the sword not in vain. Now, you know, as much as some of us pastors might think it might be kind of cool to whip out a big sword, you know, the Bible obviously defines for us what that sword is in Ephesians 6, right? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So the ministers that are given to you for good in the spiritual kingdom of God bear a sword, and it's not born in vain. Because God honors His Word. And back in Romans 12, for example, if you were with us, you'll remember verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Physical vengeance is not given to the spiritual kingdom. It's not part of our job description, thankfully, for all of us. Nobody wants that. Executing physical revenge has nothing to do with the church. But God can do it. It's called spiritual discipline of a disobedient child. And if God can't get your attention by simply speaking to you, then he has to ramp it up a little. And things start happening in your life. You might get sick. You might lose a job. You might have struggles and difficulties of various physical nature that cause you to actually suffer because God is just trying to get your attention. Stop being such a big shot and submit to me. He'll do it. It's a serious deal. Listen, I don't understand why it is. Of course, it's Laodicea. But even in Laodicea, where the Christians are called lukewarm and they make God sick, even a lukewarm Christian in Laodicea typically will obey the law of the government. Typically, they're going to do what's right in society. But when they come in the church house, oh, baby. That's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother ball of wax right there. They're just not really down. Why is that? Well, you'd have to think, because in the government, they are motivated by fear. <laughs> and they're not motivated by fear in the church. What are you going to do to me if I don't do it? I'm just sitting here quiet because I don't want to walk out in the middle of this sermon. People stare at me. But as soon as you're done, I'm out. Listen, if that's your attitude, that's fine. There's always a place for you to come back and be mad. It's okay. <laughs> but you don't have any fear. And the problem is, it's not that you don't have fear because I can't lop your head off. You don't, you don't have any fear of God. And that's a real problem. No fear of God. That's why people do that. It's like Moses and Israel. Remember when they were murmuring against Moses, Exodus 16? And God made it really clear. This was the idea they go out in the wilderness and they didn't have anything to eat. And they're begging them. They're saying, man, we were better off back in Egypt. And Moses just lays it out, man. 
And he tells them, look, you're not murmuring against me. You're murmuring against God. He's the one who brought us out. I didn't bring you out here. So that whole idea of no fear of the Lord, why obey the laws of the government but not in the church? Well, it's because it seems to you like it's voluntary. It seems to you like it's optional. But actually it's not. Because the same rules that we just went through for the physical kingdom of heaven apply to the spiritual kingdom of God. It's just that you don't see the immediate results. Nobody's locking you up in prison. But be not deceived. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because the punishment for your sinful rebellion does not come swiftly in your life or in the lives of people around you that you can see visibly. You think you're getting away with it. Think again. Because in Galatians 6 and verse number 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Oh, listen. You can get away with it here. You can kid me and lie to your friends and your mama and your grandmama and none of them maybe really know what's going on. But somebody knows and that somebody never dies. (laughs) I need to get off this point. Amen. The last point. Pay your dues. Just when you thought it was going to get easier. For this cause, pay ye tribute also. Romans 8 and verse 12. This is very good. Therefore, brethren, we're debtors. Not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, but to the Spirit, to walk after the Spirit. We're we're debtors. For everything we have, we're debtors. We we owe big time. And, And we need to do what's right. We need to pay our dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. In the spiritual kingdom of God, organized through local New Testament churches, that's your tithes and your offerings. You need to participate in financial giving. You just need to. Again, we don't track you down. We don't ask you to turn over your W-2s. We don't look. We don't do that. You are free to disobey. Please don't. Obey the Lord. Give your t- Listen, in the Old Testament, the Levitical priesthood set up, those guys lived off of the tithes and offerings of the people. The New Testament's not any different. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says the same thing. They that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Listen, this church does good. You guys take good care of us. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that if you receive spiritual benefit for your soul from the teaching and the care of a local church, but don't contribute, you're an evildoer. You're a thief. You say a thief. Well, it says in Malachi 3, will a man rob God? God says to them, yet you have robbed me. But the people said back to him, wherein have we robbed thee? And God answers in tithes and offerings. You're a thief. You're taking something and you're not paying for it. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom is due. You can make an application to missionaries preaching the gospel in different areas where they have to make cultural adaptation. 
you know, it's interesting in the book of Romans, when in Rome, right, do as the Romans do, uh, do what you have to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in that same chapter, a little further down, 19 to 22, that whole passage basically deals with Paul saying, you know, when I was a Jew, you know, when I spoke to the Jews, I, I became as a Jew and, you know, to those under the law as those under the law, that I might win all the more. In other words, he adapted his custom to be able to get the word of God out. That's what you should do. You should adapt, not the message, but the ability to communicate it. Fear to whom fear. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17, fear God. How about that? Hebrews 12, 29 says, our God is a consuming fire. You ought to fear God. It is healthy. It is legitimate. It's a good motivation. There is a judgment seat of Christ. It is real. You will stand before it if you're a Christian. You absolutely will. That ought to bother you. It bothers me. It motivates me. It does. And lastly, honor to whom honor. There's a list of things that God says. This is all honor. Honor is due a lot of people in a lot of ways. The Bible says honor the son. The Bible says honor your father and mother. The Bible says honor the prophets of God. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders that rule well in the context of a church be counted worthy of double honor. Who are they? Especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. You got to pay your dues. Listen, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God originally were supposed to be one. They divided. They will become one again in a time that we call the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. By the way, anytime Jesus Christ is present on planet earth, the two are one. They were one when he was here the first time and they will be one when he is here the second time. That's a guarantee, absolute guarantee. So I have this as the last statement in your notes. Your life now is just practice for that time. And taking like a football reference, if you don't play well during practice, you don't suit up for the big game. That's a whole other fun Bible study about how you are given robes of righteousness in the kingdom if you served the Lord in the Spirit. And if you don't, there is a fear that you might stand before him figuratively, literally, you decide. The word the Bible uses is naked. If you don't play well in practice, you don't suit up for the big game for a thousand years. It's that important. And it's always, always about authority. Your life is all, the sooner you can learn the lesson that you don't matter and you surrender your life to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation, the greatest thing you could ever do, you inherit eternal life. The sooner you recognize after that that your opinion doesn't matter and only God's opinion does, and you surrender your will to the authority of God's word, it is better for you. It will be well with you, as the Bible says. So don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that is what he will reap. And some of you might need to repent today. Before you walk out of here, you need to really honestly just fall on your face and beg God to forgive you. And get back in the game. Get back on track. God loves you and desperately wants to warn you through this passage as well as many others that this is a serious deal. Let's pray together.